all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics and Medical Director for the Center for the Advancement of Youth at UMMSC. April is National Autism Awareness Month. This disorder has moved from one of obscurity to being one of the most often discussed diagnoses of children in this country. Yet there continues to be some misunderstanding of what the disorder is, poor identification, and lack of needed services. Then what happens when one with autism grows up? Let's talk about what's going on in your life. You can share your comments and experiences this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. And thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress today, and we are talking about National Autism Awareness Month. April is that. And um, I know you all in the listening audience have heard a lot about autism over the last few years. The disorder actually moved from misunderstood obscurity to being one of the most often discussed diagnoses in children. Um, research over the years has, has helped with a better understanding. There's been a lot more medical study about really what the symptoms are and what it is, but there's actually still some confusion going on, and certainly in Mississippi and our surrounding states, there's still some under-identification and lack of needed services in in um, several different areas. Um we have two great guests here with us today, Dr. Kimberly Stringer and and um, Pam Dollar. Um, I'm sorry, Pam. I just had a no blank problem. out for a moment. Who is a wonderful uh, parent advocate who has done tons for children with autism spectrum disorder and and other developmental disabilities. And we'll get to them in a moment, but we already have a first caller, and I want to go to Dudley um, because I think he's calling about last week. Dudley from Calhoun County. Good morning, Dudley. Thanks for calling. Good morning, Dr. Buttress. I just wanted to thank you so much for last week's show on litter and trashing. (laughs) I tried to get a phone call in doing your show, but it was all taken up. Uh Thank you so much. We are trashing ourselves to death and don't realize it. Thank you so much for your show. Oh, Dudley, thank you. Every time anyone brings that up, you can call every week and remind people not to litter because you are absolutely right. It's We have such a beautiful state and such beautiful countryside, but it it really is just awful, isn't it, about it the... Is. Really is. The blight that we create, we and and a lot of it is absent-minded. So, um, thanks for calling, reminding us to not litter. We need we need that every every day. <laughs> and thanks for listening, Dudley. Oh, my pleasure. Have a great show today. Thank you. Thanks. So, um, before before we get into the meat of the show, I'd just like to for. Um, Pam Dollar to tell us a little bit about herself, and then we'll go to Dr. Stringer. Tell tell us, Pam, what what you do and and who you serve, because there are many. Um, I'm the di- executive director of the Coalition for Citizens with Disabilities, and 
one of our, uh, a, a large federal grant project that we have is the Mississippi Parent Training and Information Center. And so we provide training and information and support to parents who have children with disabilities around educational issues. Right. So I know a lot of times Pam will attend um, IEP meetings, that's Individual Education Plan meetings at schools to help parents step through what they need. So even though this is a show on autism today, if you have any kind of specific question about how to navigate school issues or if you have concerns about some school services, feel free to call in. I'm sure Pam would be happy to to answer uh, questions that you have. Um, And then we have Dr. Kim Stringer, who is at the Center for the Advancement of Youth, a developmental behavioral pediatrician, and um, welcome. Thank you, Susan. Kim. Uh, Dr. Stringer is also on the Autism Task Force here in Mississippi and has done a lot of great work with that, sees a lot of kids around um, children with autism. So so let's go, go back, you know, and as in... Most areas of medicine, as we've had increased study and understanding of the disorder, there has been better clarification of what autism really looks like, what the early signs are, and early discovery. Um, So um, I think in sometimes my isolated world, my developmental pediatrics world, that we're doing way better, but it does seem that there's still a lot of confusion out there about what it really is. So in some areas, maybe over-identification, and we're calling it autism when when it really isn't. And then um, certainly in some areas, there is under-identification where um, there's a child clearly with autism, and that child, even though we know you can identify it by age two or so, 24 months, you should be able to have an, a clear, especially in a more moderate child with autism, moderately. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. Basically, two years of age, you should be able to confident, confidently um, diagnose a child if they have moderate to severe symptoms. Right. From what I see in practice is, is that those children who are more verbal at two, who may do be doing a little more pretend play? Um, they they are harder to catch. They're harder <laughs> to catch, harder to figure out because yes. what's what's typical two year old behavior <laughs> right. and the the tantruming and the the sometimes sensory issues that can go along with that, and then what is what is atypical and what um, is really moving into the area of disorder. So um, if you have any questions about autism spectrum disorder, today's the day to call. You can give a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Um, so before we get into a couple of other things, Dr. Stringer, would you just talk um, a little bit about what autism is and why sometimes we are confused about um, making the diagnosis when perhaps the child has um, severe speech-language delay or something else? So what autism is is basically a child that has two major areas of concerns. One is a child who has major um, problems in their social communication skills. So that is a child who uh, may not talk, but may not may not talk, but they they don't use gestures or make eye contact or point to things that they want to to express themselves so so 
that's what we mean by social communication. Another way to communicate other than than speaking. Other than the words. words right. right. And I think people so many times forget that the nonverbal form of communication is I'm waving my arms around right now as I'm talking is a big piece of communication that eye contact watching somebody else's facial expressions, um, even the body language. You know somebody's really not accepting what you're saying if they fold their arms, right? Right. Um, Whereas an individual with autism spectrum disorder might not be able to read that. Right. Um, The other side of autism spectrum disorder is usually... What most people can identify is some of the atypical repetitive behaviors. Um, basically, and that is can go along with having intense interests. So a, ch- a child that may like talk about the stock market all the time, and but not playing with toys, for instance, or be almost obsessed with stop market in numbers and in letters. Um, that can be a child who has basically um, what we would call intense repetitive movements, um, such as hand flapping or rocking. Some s- children with severe autism may do some head banging, um, toe walking. Um, also, a child can also have some um, be very sensitive or what we have called sensory processing difficulties. Basically, that's the child who who holds their hands to their ears when they hear loud noises, but I, common loud noises that they would hear every day, like the toilet flushing or the water running or the vacuum, vacuum cleaner, cleaner right? Yeah, <laughs> any any of those. It it does seem that sometimes it can be very painful. And and um, as as you're talking, um, what I don't believe I told our listening audience is Pam Dollar, who is our parent advocate here today has a child now a grown a grown young man with autism spectrum disorder and so Pam I'm sure as you are listening thinking back to your your child as a young one your son that this this is bringing back some of those memories of that early diagnosis when was when was your son diagnosed he was actually diagnosed at two years old. At two years of age, which is probably because of Pam. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was two weeks after his second birthday. Uh-huh. And so, which, I've, uh, that was 25 years ago because he's soon to be 27 um, next month. And so that was almost unheard of 25 right? years ago yeah. to get a diagnosis that young. But he had what some people refer to as regressive autism. Mm-hmm. So he developed all this language and appeared to be developing normally, typically, yeah. and then went through a huge regression. Yeah. And so we were very vigilant about getting a diagnosis because yeah. we knew something happened. Yeah. Yeah, very, very difficult area. I'm sure there are several people out there listening who have family members, perhaps children, perhaps adults, maybe even yourself. You think you may have a form of autism spectrum. It certainly can be mild and certainly can be one of those things that the biggest struggle is socialization. We'll talk about that more after we take our first break. We're talking about autism spectrum disorder. You can give us a call to join the conversation at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. 
This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we're talking about autism spectrum disorder. Uh, it's Autism Awareness Month, uh, and we're talking about the, the one, what it is exactly, um, and, and then two, we'll be talking about what happens as you grow up, then, then what happens, where can you go, what can you do, and, and how many of individuals uh, with autism spectrum disorder are still out there struggling. Today I have Dr. Kim Stringer and Pam Dollar, both who work with individuals with autism spectrum disorder, and we can answer any questions that you have about that. Let's go on to the phones. We have Sue and um, Beaumont. Sue, we actually, I see, you're getting ready to ask a question. We just talked about um, addressing, but go ahead and tell our audience what you're well, needing I, I'm tonight. I'm a lady, and I've, I never heard of uh, autism and ADD and ADHD and, and autism spectrum disorder, not any of this stuff, you know, until, well, until I was middle-aged, you know. Right. So I'm wondering... Uh, is it something environmental? What was all the atomic bomb testing all over the world? Is it something environmental that's causing these quirks in the children? Or, or is it nutritional? Is it something uh, mothers eat when they're expecting? Is it something in our in our diet? Is their diet or right. is autism spectrum disorder? Perhaps in old days, you know, people would grow up and kind of grow out of their autism and just be considered like quirky people or odd people or eccentric people. Can people grow yeah. out of it without treatment? Yeah, well, um, Sue, we know that people are way better off if they have treatment. And um, let me just tell you that you're you're not in the minority. Many people um, had never heard of autism spectrum disorder, although it was actually described um, a long time ago, many years ago, by Kanner and then by Asperger and and um, actually, back in um, the 1930s, uh, there was quite a bit of description going on on the on autism spectrum by a man called Hans Aspergers, um, and he um, actually described the socialization and um, the milder form, and then Kanner. Um, Gosh, had had been talking about children with autism too for for quite a few years. So, the issue is that it was always the more uh, severe form, and not the broader spectrum. A lot we we are finding a lot of individuals with autism spectrum disorder were probably identified as having an intellectual disability or what we used to call mental retardation. And now with um, a better understanding, many of those individuals we found um, fit into the diagnostic category for ASD. Um, Kim, do you have some other things you'd like to Yes, I think that's a good question, um, Sue. Basically, um, and it's one I get all the time, what caused my child's autism? Um, but, But... there, I think we are beginning to understand that a lot of the causes could be um, what's called epigenetics, basically environmental playing a role with genetics, um, and that's uh, that can may explain a, a few subset of children with autism. Um, also, um, and when you think about a lot of kids with genet- some genetic syndromes, a lot of them probably weren't living as they are today with advances, especially in neonatal intensive care units, little babies being born um, earlier now um, who were who probably wouldn't survive. Um, so we're talking infants being born um, before 37 weeks of gestational age or premature infants, and right. now they're and, living. And and there does seem to be a higher incidence of autism in individuals with a history of prematurity, right? Right, yeah. and also with um, congenital heart defects, right. um, um, such as the Joris syndrome. A lot of those kids um, have heart conditions, 
um, that they wouldn't have normally will have survived yeah, before so. now. And now they're getting their heart surgeries and everything, and now they're surviving, and we're discovering that, hey, these children are living up to two and having language problems. But that only explains just a small subset Right. I think there's autism. so much research going on. You know, there's a there has been a look at um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Does that increase the risk? Does anxiety, severe anxiety and depression in pregnancy, does that increase the risk? But the it does seem that epigenetics is is a huge part, like um, Dr. Stringer said, what we're born with, what, what we, we have in our genes, um, sometimes expresses itself and sometimes it doesn't. So there's thought to be something about the environment, maybe, that's changing, um, that has um, affected the expression, so to speak, of, of what our genes show um, out there. So... It's it's been a really interesting area. Um, unfortunately, we haven't made quite the progress that there's not been one one entity. You know, um, there there seem to be clusters of autism in the country. If you look, there's a big cluster in the Northeast. There's a big cluster on the West Coast. Even in Mississippi, we have more children with autism in the area of North Mississippi and South Mississippi. But then, if you look at where are the resources, that's where they are. So, is it because people are born there with it? Or is it because people go to places where they know that there are services. There are so many confounders in this area. Uh, But Sue, thanks for that uh, question. The the answer is there's a lot of research still being being done on that. So um, we know some things that we want to um, avoid. High stress during pregnancy, if you can. Some people can't avoid that. You want to have good nutrition. You want to stay away from alcohol or drugs during pregnancy. But many people have the very perfect pregnancy and still have a child born with um, a disorder like autism. So you can't always put your finger on it. Um, If you want to have any questions or join the conversation, um, if you have some thoughts about um, autism and and um, our questions. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline dot org. I thought it might be interesting to talk a little bit about the evolution of the diagnosis. Now, I just said in Mississippi, there was a recent publication in our, our Mississippi Medical Journal that talked about how we, um, we, our numbers in Mississippi are far under the national average, right? Um, but it's thought that that's probably not real. It's probably that we're calling a lot of these children developmental delay, or we're calling them intellectual disability, or we're not calling them anything. Um, We're just not identifying the children. So there's been a push in our community, and, and I will say that our autism task force has done a really good job trying to push that information out, trying to get people to, um, people, schools, um, professionals to understand what the diagnosis is and to better identify it. But as as the redefinition of autism came about back in 2013 through the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, um, they dropped the term Asperger's um, syndrome and called, which was the supposed milder form of autism spectrum disorder, more the individual who had better, um, higher intelligence, perhaps, higher skill set, but still had socialization issues and some quirky behaviors. And so um, they dropped that and called it all autism spectrum disorder. Um, I was a little concerned about that because it, it, worried me that parents sometimes with the children with a milder disorder would be more reticent, not not quite as ready to call it. 
Um, and and we have seen a little bit of that in our practice. But then I'll just throw some. There was a New York Times article that came out at the end of March um, that was very interesting by a woman named Ellen uh, Schiffer. And um, she wrote about who Asperger was. And, and actually, um, I might be happy that we're not using the name anymore because he, he actually was responsible for the death of some children during the Nazi era um, when he was writing about these children and, and the Nazis were um, thinking that there needed to be killing of individuals who were not perfect. So a little upsetting, if any of you want to read that article in the New York Times, you can get it online. It's the Nazi history behind Asperger's. Just interesting. Um, But we have several callers on the phone, so let's go on back to the phone lines. We have Katie and Hurley. Katie, you have um, a study you want to talk about. Go ahead. Um, unfortunately, I can't recall the name of it, but this was a study, a small study, too. But it was done in Spain where they showed a correlation between mothers who took Tylenol when they were pregnant, like often, mm-hmm. not just every once in a while. But it seemed to show that they had higher rates of autism in boys and higher rates of ADHD in girls. Hmm. But I didn't read that until I was halfway through with my second pregnancy. And I was like, oops. So I wanted to know if you had any thoughts on that. Dr. Stringer, I think we're both looking at each other. There's not been uh, much import placed on that. Um, and and I'll say, Katie, one, one thing about uh, whenever you look at these studies, you really have to delve in because you can, you can find a correlation without causation. So um, women are told not to take aspirin early in pregnancy, right? Um, Not to take even Advil early in pregnancy, ibuprofen, because of the the concerns about possible bleeding and that kind of thing, um, because we know that it can diminish platelet function and that kind of thing. So um, a lot of people defer to Tylenol. So there are probably a lot of people out there who take Tylenol during pregnancy, right? Right. And, Katie, I will also mention, you mentioned that it's a small study, right? So, basically, when you look at studies, um, you you know, when we look at scientific literature and studies, you always have to be careful. And what I try to look at primarily is have they repeated the study again over and over and over and over again, even if you look at a study that had like looked at a hundred people and determined that this is an effect or association, but like Dr. Buttress mentioned, association does not mean causation, right? And so the other thing is looking at studies and do they describe well how is it causing it? And but millions of million women I was suspecting pregnancy were right are taking Tylenol, but that still probably would not explain the right yeah um so yeah so um good question there there have been so many things that have been implicated um certainly mercury lead um like i mentioned earlier alcohol smoking other drugs um there there have also been um issues about the depression and anxiety and so um so we're just still looking uh for sure there have been some uh gene sites that have been identified out there and then Dr. Stringer mentioned um things like disorders like fragile x syndrome um specifically williams syndrome some of those others um have also been implicated as having higher rates so uh we still don't know the jury's still out 
All right, we're talking about autism spectrum disorder. We're ready to take your questions. We have Annette and Mark on the line. Y'all hang on. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue to be on the phones. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. Listen again to stories and shows at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I'm here with Dr. Kim Stringer and Pam Dollar. We're talking about autism spectrum disorder, what it is, maybe what causes it, what can you do about it, and then what happens when that child becomes an adult, what happens. So we're going to stay on the phone lines. We have Annette in Pike County. Good morning, Annette. Thanks for calling. Good morning. You have some questions about food chemicals? Actually, I have comments. Okay. I was born in Pike County, Mississippi in 1939, before the Industrial Revolution hit our area. All the young men were gone off to war. All the young white men were gone off to war. I am mostly Caucasian. I am tested one sixteenth African and one sixteenth um, Asian. Uh-huh. And and uh, but I have lipoprotein A, which is common to the African race. The A is for Africa. It's a unique cholesterol that causes an unusually large cell. And uh, it's you, you almost. I live when I found out about it. My my mother. Everybody dies in their sixties, and I wasn't ready for that. And I read about it, and I was curious about it. And I was a student of the King James Bible, and it said if God didn't make it, you shouldn't put it in your mouth. And so I thought I can live with that, and I did. <laughs> and now I'm almost eighty, and all of my cousins are dead. Uh, yeah, of heart disease. Yeah. And I'm fine. My blood pressure is 120 over six, uh, what, 60 or 70 or 80. And uh, I'm excited to be on the radio. <laughs> no, Annette, well, that's good, great news that you're so taking care of. I have a is yeah. that people look at the biblical law, see what the Bible says you should eat and you should not eat. Cooperate, especially when it comes to fat. You take your butter, you cook it, you take out all the solids, you have a yellow oil, a clear oil. Use that. It's called ghee. It's the sacred food of ancient India. Go back to the King James and learn how to eat right. And that interesting, very interesting, and, and congratulations on figuring out a way to live longer because, golly, I'm glad. Um, I, I certainly am not ready not to be here at 60, so... Um, just a, a comment. There's been a new push uh, about food chemicals, additives, preservatives, food coloring. Um, I'm kind of with you. Why in the world do we need any of that? Um, there has been a push, though, with this new diet fad. It ought to be a life fad, in my opinion, where when you go to the grocery store, you only buy things around the edges of the grocery store, the fresh fruits, vegetables, right? And then you go around to the eggs and the cheese and the, the dairy products. But even in those, there, if you, if you don't read what you're eating. Um, but yeah, the more natural, the better. Uh, certainly in ADHD, there's been some more information about the red 
food dyes and perhaps some preservatives that may make it at least worse. So I'm not sure that there's been anything identified as far as that goes for autism, I don't believe. Do you know, Dr. Stringer? But no, yeah. as far as I yeah. No. Yeah. Iron, yes. Iron deficiency certainly is something you you don't want to have. So um, when you're eating organically, it's really important to remember to make sure that you have the po- proper protein and nutrients that you need. But Annette, thanks for that call. Um, let's go next to Mark in Mobile. Uh, Mark, you have some thoughts about quality of life. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, growing up, I was diagnosed with severe ADHD. Um, I was the weird kid, had like these crazy um, impulsions to learn about random things and obsess over them. Um, you know, I was diagnosed also with uh, different other learning disabilities. I was given a high IQ. Growing up, I always suspected that I was autistic because mm-hmm. um, of the social anxiety I battled with. I was very overweight. Um, and I really didn't grow out of those antisocial tendencies, I guess, until I moved away and, you know, kind of went through the struggle of learning how to be a human. So I avoided the ABA and all of that stuff, though I did go through the ADHD medicine, which I have a lot to say about. But I often wondered, you know, how do, how do those treatments affect a person's quality of life and how they see themselves as a person? Um, and, you know, are those treatments more geared towards making autistic people more productive, you know, rather than making them happier or more like fulfilled in their, with their specific brains, I guess. I hear, I think I hear what you're saying. Let me make sure I understand. So Mark, you were, you were never diagnosed. I hear this often, especially in the ones with um, individuals with mild ASD, with higher intelligence, that, that often um, it went undiscovered, but you even knew that you were you were just a little different. Um, the social anxiety does go along with it, and the obsessive interest, um, which sometimes makes one um, highly productive. In that, you know, if you have, if you learn all that you can about one topic and you can get it directed, then sometimes you can be a highly productive individual. But it can be somewhat lonely and socialization can be um, tough. Um, Pam, do you want to comment any on the the therapies as as you see individuals who you've dealt with? Um, the productivity is certainly one thing, but I think our focus is often more on the socialization aspect, right? Absolutely. Um, well, and one thing, it's interesting, um, what Mark is saying, because a lot of um, a lot of adults with autism are now telling us that, you know, we try too hard to make them fit in to mm-hmm. the mold of what we see as how people should act right. or or how, you know, what kinds of jobs they should have and that kind of thing. And so I think it's really important to take a person centered approach and look at what you know, what works best for that person. And like he said, instead of looking at productivity, look at, you know, quality of life and happiness for that person. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mark, you mentioned that at one point you were overweight, and, and sometimes that that can have to do with the comfort zone and how you are seeking to comfort yourself, too. Um, but yeah, I think the cookie cutter um, treatment approach is so wrong, and medicine in general is moving toward patient-centered, family-centered treatment, trying to make it work for that that individual, right, Dr. Stringer? Yes, basically there are a lot, as far as medicines out there, that can help, and I often ask my patients, especially some if I know they're able to tell me, I mean, even as young as five or six, like, do you want to take a medicine that's a liquid or chewable? Or tell me how how things are going for you today. A lot of times, and I think as providers, we forget that we're like, the child is our patient, not the parent. And again, the child's opinion about things going on at school, at home is also 
um, relevant as even middle schoolers when I see them and I ask like, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What things do you like to do besides school? And asking those questions of your um, preteen um, is often helpful because then you know like where their interests lie and what they want to do and you can grow and develop that. Not everybody has to be a scientist or a basketball player or, you know, or a doctor or a doctor or a lawyer. Or a lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's right. so many professions out there that that may fit where you want to be and who you want to be. And so just to try to stay centered, Mark, um, I think we're hopefully doing better than we used to. If you still have that social anxiety, though, I would encourage you to um, reach out to your primary care provider and and ask for someone who might be able to help you with that because that can sometimes be very isolating and debilitating. Sometimes therapy alone without medicine can be helpful and sometimes a little bit of medication can also be helpful. But I would encourage you, if if you still struggle with that, to, to seek out some help. Um, Also, Pam, I I just want to make sure we get in something, and we'll get to our next caller in just a moment, um, about some good news about, um, in Mississippi, what's happening with our adults with autism. Right. So um, one thing that I did want to say, um, sort of commenting again on what Dr. Stringer just said, is I think it's great that you begin to look at at some point that the child is your patient and not the parent because, you know, as parents, we are the caregivers from early on. And so we're really bad about sort of thinking that we make all the decisions. I know recently a good friend of mine, um, we were trying to make a particular decision, something that I've held a hard line on with my son for many years, which is having an IQ test done. And, um, but it is a requirement for one of the programs in Mississippi. And so consequently, he is still not even on the waiting list, which is seven to 10 years long, because I just keep holding the line on that. Well, he's 26 years old now. And my friend uh, rightly reminded me, she said, you know, Pam, it's not your decision anymore. He's yeah. 26. It's yeah. his decision. Yeah. That's important. But um, and so I ask him and he he wants to do it. And so we will we will move forward with it. So I think it's important to, for parents to and it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because we, you know, yeah, we do feel like Yeah, let me just make a comment. I don't know if our listeners are wondering why were you so hardline about IQ and why would you not allow that to be done? And and I think um I think I know why. It's very very difficult to get a true measure of intelligence in an individual with autism because of the difficulties with communication and sometimes the resistance to transitions. And so in, in a testing modality where you, you use some pretty strict criteria on how you test, it's sometimes very hard to get a good measure. So I get that. Um, I think we're going to have to take our, our last break. And when we come back, we'll, we'll, Keep going with the callers. We have Mikey and Lisa on the line. Stay with us. Um, We still have time for another caller or so. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We're talking about autism. We'll be right back. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. 
Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Kim Stringer and Pam Dollar. We're talking today about autism spectrum disorder, what it is, what can you do, how do you end up, um, and are there some opportunities. Uh, we'll go back to the phone, and I do want to save some time um, at the end so uh, Pam can tell us about a couple of opportunities for adults with ASD. Um, we'll go to Mikey and Mobile. Hi, Mikey. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, this is such an important show. Thank you so much for doing it. I have had personal um, touches uh, and involvement with um, a brother um, who only lived to be 35, okay? And, and in addition, um, other, uh, you know, I have, I have extended family that, that deal with it. Um, medical science itself, I don't know, you guys are braver than I am. <laughs> Because medical science itself, and certainly mental health sciences, are still very young, <laughs> if you look at it in a historical perspective. Um, and it seems that, that a lot of this stuff started rearing its head with – now, I'm not a historian, obviously, um, with these comments that I'm about to make – with formula coming out of – medical science has always advanced due to war things. During the Civil War was when it seemed to be that, am I, am I mistaken, that that's when actual medical science here, physical part of it, took off. Um, and, jeez. Uh, oh, I don't know. Maybe, you know, it's interesting. I've got some really old books, uh, medical books that go back. People were trying um, many, many years ago to figure out um, how to treat illnesses back in the Roman days. So um, it, we've really advanced exponentially in the last 50 years. It's just absolutely amazing if you look at the discoveries. Now, I know, Mikey, that you had a question um, about uh, pesticides and whether or not some of those things perhaps um, might have had some issue or indication. And, and again, um, there's been some linkage to cancers, certain kinds of tumors, to certain pesticides, and that's been looked at. But as far as linkage to autism, Dr. Stringer, I don't believe there's anything that we know. Not anything specific. Yeah. I mean, a lot of environmental studies come out of California, so they look at a lot of California scientists do look at that in environment, but nothing just to pinpoint your finger on and said that pesticide that caused, did it. that did it. Yeah, we're still not there yet. Still not, but we still need to look. And right. again, like our original comments, we don't want to do anything. Uh, don't add anything that's not um, organic. Not something that um, is is a grown. You don't need additives unless you just have to. Um, let's go to our last caller, Lisa in Madison. Lisa, you have some comments about therapy. Hey, this is Lisa Fuller, actually. Um, hello, Susan. Hi, Lisa. I know you both well. And my daughter is years old now and um, was a patient of Dr. Buttress's for some time. And I just want to make a quick comment that I can't speak highly enough about the importance of the addition of ABA therapy to the medical regimen and um, seeing your physician regularly uh, for these children in early intervention. But um, my child had significant behavioral issues as a young toddler and child and through the help of Dr. Buttress, her team and a great behavior therapist she is now graduating from high school she has, um, was offered several scholarships to college and she will be um, starting college in the fall and is interviewing for her first job she's actually been offered the job but today is the day that she will firm all that up for her oh, summer job wonderful that's she's such good news i mean yeah. i just can't say enough good things about you know the inter early intervention is you know if you've got a child that has the intellectual ability to go that path that yeah. i really believe in it yeah and um you know as a parent getting involved and learning the social stories and role playing and practicing at home all that paid off for us. So anyway, great. Give a few tips. Oh, thanks. thanks for calling Lisa. And I'm so excited for your sweet daughter. Tell her congratulations. That's great to I hear. Will. All Thank right. Yeah. You know, and I think Lisa brings up a point. I want to make sure if Pam will reiterate in a minute that, um, 
that it's really important for parents to to push to make sure that their child gets the right therapy. And if somebody says, no, we can't do that, ask why. Question why. Make sure you know your rights. So, um, Pam, in the last couple of minutes, can you tell us a little bit about those opportunities that we were so excited about? Absolutely. And, Lisa, it's wonderful to hear how well your daughter's doing. And hopefully through some of these new programs, um, we'll have more people that have that same story. Um, individuals with autism, they need, many of them can be successful, but they need right. support right. In, in, to be able to do so. There's a couple of programs in the state, the IDDD waiver and the uh, 1915I waiver that can provide that. But one of the really exciting things going on right now is through the, the Workforce um, Innovation and Opportunity Act that got passed a couple of years ago, there's a lot more money being funneled toward um, employment-type mm-hmm. programs that mm-hmm. target that. The one that I really wanted to highlight, um, we have in our state, it is in the northern part of the state in mm-hmm. DeSoto County, but there's a program uh Sephora, the makeup company, has a distribution center there. And when they first came in, they contacted our State Department of Rehab Services and said, we want 30% of our workforce to be individuals with disabilities. And so I I talked with rehab this morning, and they put a call into Sephora so we could get our numbers right. But so far, 24 individuals with autism have have been hired by Sephora through that training program. Wow. And 12 of those individuals are on the autism spectrum. And it's my understanding it's not entry-level. Oh, I mean, it is entry-level positions, but the individuals start at like $14 an hour, so it's not minimum wage So either, they really so. have a future. They really can, can be self-supporting. That's just wonderful news. And I know I've, I've heard other groups that have been very good. Sometimes it's only after somebody in their family has um, a disorder such as ASD that they decide to move forward. I hope others will just understand that we need to make this uh, village-wide. We don't need to just have somebody who goes, oh, now I'm affected. Now I get it. So learn about these disorders. Understand them. And and hope hopefully you'll have some empathy out there for individuals and, and figure out how maybe you can also help. So I want to thank um, Pam Dollar so much and thank, thank you for you. all your continued work. And the same Dr. Stringer, Kim Stringer, thank you so much for all the work that you've done. So today's show was engineered by Michelle McAdoo. I think our call screener, was it Java? Liz Gill. Okay, Liz Gill. Thank you, Liz. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking and that you'll stay tuned now for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.